Life in God doesn't make sense. That's an interesting topic, amen? It really is. Hey, thank you for coming today. We're really glad. If you are here and you're a, a normal like member person or regular attender person, we're glad you're here. If you've been here three or four weeks and you decided to come back today, we're glad you're here. If you're here for the very first time, we're glad that you are here. And hasn't it been good already? No, 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 better than that. Come on, come on. I'm talking about you went to Kroger and you normally spent for $200 for groceries and you walked out for $125. That kind of good. I'm talking about, you know, I'm glad gas is $2 a gallon, but I was really glad when it was $135. Amen? I'm talking about hasn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen? It really has. I, I love it when, when our praise team and Katie, what a beautiful song today. It just all comes together because I just know what God wants to do today in our hearts. And it really is an important topic. So here's the deal. So, so for the next four weeks, we're in a new series entitled A Day of Life. A Day of Life with Jesus. A Day of Life with Jesus. It's, it's going to be a good series. And it's all based on Matthew chapter 14. The four things we're going to talk about all occur in one day in the life of Jesus. And they're pretty incredible. Obviously, what we're going to talk about today, when life and God sometimes doesn't make sense. And next week, on April the 10th, and by the way, mark your calendars, clear your calendars for the big shindig next week. We've got a great singing group come in. You're going to love them. Along the theme of the Martins, if you're into that, kind of a, a Southern Gospel, contemporary Southern Gospel thing going on there. And uh, Jeremy and his crew have got chicken and dumplings, and it's just going to be awesome. Don't miss that. Schedule it. we got an afternoon concert planned. It's a great day to celebrate 10 years in our building. So mark that down. And what better sermon then, the feeding of the 5,000. And we're going to learn about, really we know this, but how our church has become a church that reaches out and loves people in some very unusual ways. So that's, that's next week. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about getting out of the boat. You know, what do you do when God you know, gives you the opportunity to walk on water? Maybe that will be your day to do that. And finally, we're going to look at the last, uh, the last part of the day. We, you know, Jesus is doing some miraculous healing. But, but we're going to take, a, I promise you, a totally different look at that and what it means to us today. So I'm really excited about the next four weeks. And I'm really excited about today. What do you do when life in God just doesn't seem to make sense? Well, let me give you a little disclaimer today. You know this happens sometimes. As I was studying this morning, well, let me put it this way first. How many of you guys, ladies and men, how many of y'all cook? Yeah, okay. Have you ever cooked too much food? You know, you cook too much food. We do a lot at Thanksgiving. I know at our house, there's like food left, like left over. Well, I looked at what we, you know, what I planned on sharing and preparing, and I'm going, you know what, this is just too much food. And what's going to happen is I'm going to rush through this. And then, you know, it's, it's not going to, I said, I tell you what we're going to do. At the risk of being shorter today, ha, 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 go buy a lottery ticket. You got a better chance. Okay? <laughs> you know, on the risk of being shorter today, I decided what we're going to do now. Listen, listen. So, you know, when you have too much food, like at Thanksgiving, you eat at lunch, and then you have, for supper, you have, yeah, you have leftovers. Okay? You have leftovers. So tonight, clear your calendars. Six o'clock, we're going to be back under the steeple tonight, and we're going to get really the core group of scriptures really tonight. So, so today is kind of like the hors d'oeuvres. Uh, you know, this morning's kind of like the hors d'oeuvres and the dessert. We're going to have the main course tonight. So I hope you'll come back at 6 o'clock on the steeple as we take a, another look um, at that. So, so already it's just a little bit different. But, but like I say, when this is such a cool topic, because the Bible talks so much about it. You know, Monday. Monday I went to the hospital 
um, to visit one of our regular attenders um, who, who was in the hospital that day, and uh, one of our members. And so, so I said, well, let me go. And so I went, you know, and, and uh, she was doing better, and that was good. Her name's Barbara. And she, Bar- Is Barbara back there, Ken? No, she's not with us today. But Kim was there, and I was there, and uh, she, was, you know, she was doing better. And, and my phone, you know, and so I looked, and it was Judy saying, call me. Now, she knew I was at the hospital, and so she doesn't usually text me and say, call me. And so I put it back in my pocket, and a few minutes said, hey, guys, Judy said call her, so I probably need to slip out. And so we had prayer with Barbara. Tim Darty was there that day, and we had prayer, and we walked out. And before I could even get in my car, I was talking with Tim, and she called me again. And that's never a good sign. And uh, what had happened was she had gotten a call from my family in Florida, and uh, my 31-year-old niece, 31-year-old actually great niece, suddenly collapsed and died. Yeah. When life doesn't make sense, and sometimes God doesn't. I mean, they don't, I have not heard the autopsy reports. She was at church Sunday. She was feeling a little bit short of breath. And then she got up uh, Monday morning and just collapsed, and they couldn't revive her, and she died. When life doesn't make sense, and sometimes God doesn't either. And then Tuesday night, I'm sitting at home, and Judy's doing refit, and the phone rings. It's Monterey Palmer and Dale, and they're talking, and, and she starts talking about something. Have you ever kind of like listened halfway and thought you knew what the person was talking about? Well, I, that's kind of what happened. I'm saying, oh, and I think I said these words. Oh, Monterey, I already know about this. I didn't have a clue about this. I thought she was talking about something earlier, and she was calling something brand new. And she was calling to let me know that Don Fulkerson, um, who goes to Glacier First Baptist, who was on a mission trip, a disaster relief team trip, who was trying to help people just 30 minutes earlier had collapsed of a heart attack and died. When God doesn't make sense, when life doesn't make sense. I mean, Don was 77. So in that sense, you know, you know, us men, if we make it past 75, it's a good day. So in that sense, yeah, but he was doing something good. He was helping people in Jesus' name. And has a heart attack. And even though they were there, they couldn't revive him. And he died. He died. Which, by the way, I've got to say this. God may each of us be 77 years old on a mission trip serving Jesus when we die. Don discovered disaster relief four years ago. He and his wife, Marge. And in those four years, they went 14 times to help people with disaster relief. 14 times. I pray each one of us would die with our boots on. Not sitting in Florida somewhere, unless it's on disaster relief for a mission trip, but die with our boots on. And then Monterey grabs me at the back table, and this one's really worse. I mean, just, she said, Dwayne, I need to tell you this. You know, John had called her, her son had called her, and, and a person who kind of attended their church, in and out kind of person, lived across the street from her parents. And so they were going to the house for supper, and so... They were crossing the road, and don't think accident. But when they got across the road, the mom let the two small children, very small children, go ahead and run into Grandma and Grandpa's house. And they walk into this scene. Granddad had shot Grandma and then committed suicide. When life doesn't make sense. When God sometimes doesn't make sense. And you've got your story, don't you? You've got your story. You know one, you've been through one, and you're saying, you know, I know, I, I really identify with this. 
It's, not, it's nothing new. The, the story, our, our scripture this morning, again from Matthew 14, which I'm just going to tell you the story. I, this is just a little bit different today. I want to tell you the story, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, it's Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 13. And, and these things didn't start in the 20th century. So it goes something like this. The, and, and this is so funny too, by the way, that, that Matthew, Matthew 14 doesn't follow Matthew 13 chronologically. It's like Matthew, for whatever reason, looked back the whole chapter and said, well, this is what happened. We're not really sure why he did it. He just did it. So the Bible starts out with the name Herod. And if you're a Bible person, you know the name Herod. You know, someone told me about three weeks ago, said, Dwayne, my family is so dysfunctional. I know. My son-in-law, Matt, thinks we're the weirdest family in the world. I can identify with that. Matt just comes and sees us and just shakes his head. We tailors are just weird people. And you may sit there going, my family is like so dysfunctional. Let me tell you just a little bit about the Herods because it fits the story. You know, there's, there's the dad, Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was the, was the kingy guy who killed the babies in Bethlehem. Very dysfunctional. He also killed several of his relatives because he was so insecure, he thought someone was going to try to take the throne. Four sons did survive, and when Herod the Great died, they divided his, his area of government up into four sections. And one of those was Herod Antipas, and that's the guy we have in Matthew chapter 14. And what happens is, is that he gets mad at John the Baptist, and he arrests him. And here's the story. Herod was like half Jew. And so he kind of was supposed to follow the Jewish laws. And so what happens is, is Herod Antipas is married, and he has a brother named Philip, Herod Philip. And so Herod Philip was married to Herodias, who, by the way, just happened to be his great-niece. Kind of weird. Well, so Herod Antipas falls in love with Herodias, who is married to his brother, and divorces his wife and steals Herodias. They fall in love and they steal. And by the way, I, I forget to tell you that Herodias was also the niece of Herod and Tiphys. Is this a weird story? Why? You really ought to read your Bible. It's really got some strange stories in it. So when John the Baptist heard about this, he gets right. You know, John the Baptist was bold. He gets right in Herod's face and said, You can't do this. It's against God's law. You can't take your brother's wife did and, and Herodias was all embarrassed and mad about it so so she gets Herod to lock you know John the Baptist in jail and he's just sitting there and then Herod has a birthday party and Herodias just hates John the Baptist and Herodias had a daughter uh, from the Greek the structure of the Greek we can tell she's mid-teens 15 16 17 years old and she performs a dance for the party. We're not sure if one, one, one scripture says that, that Herod requested it. Another said, you know, implies that Herodias requested it. But, but uh, bottom line is, this girl does this dance. Now, don't think ballerina. Okay? If you're getting the picture in your mind, it's right. It was a very, apparently, a very suggestive sexual dance. And Herod Antipas, we already know he's weird because he's married to his niece. We already got that part. He just like, you know, first he's drunk. And then secondly, apparently, he just gets consumed with lust. And so he says, whatever you want. 
up to half my kingdom I will give to you. Well, you know, I think he's thinking new Mustang. You know, he's thinking jewels. But, Her- but Herodias' daughter goes to mom, Herodias, and says, hey, he said anything up to half the kingdom. What do you think? And Herodias, who just hates John the Baptist, says, get the head of the baptizer and bring it here. So the daughter goes to King Herod Antipas and says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And John really didn't want, excuse me, and Herod Antipas did not really want to kill John the Baptist because he feared what the people would say. And some people think that he kind of liked John because John was the only person who speaks the truth. But the Bible clearly says, because of the oath he had said before all his friends, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. He sends down, and John the Baptist is beheaded in prison. And the head is brought to the room and given to Herodias' daughter. And Herodias' daughter takes it to Herodias. You may not know... But John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. And not only that, he was, he was ordained by God as the forerunner. It was John the Baptist who, who said, there's one coming, there's one coming, repent. And then he's dead. And someone has to be thinking and going, where was God? I mean, John the Baptist was born to be the forerunner. He was obedient. He was bold. He stood for the things of God. And yet God stood by as he was beheaded in prison. Life doesn't make sense sometimes. And sometimes God doesn't either. We wrestle with this. I think maybe this might be what calls uh, Thomas J. Ord. And I don't know if you know this guy, O-O-R-D. I didn't know him. You know, I'm one of those people that signed up for, for tweeting and never really figured out what it was. And every once in a while I get an email that says, this is happening in your tweet world. And I'm going, I don't even have a tweet world. But I did, that day I could read enough of the tweet. I said, well, that sounds interesting. Let me read it. And Thomas J. Ord is a Nazarene theologian, very famous in his world. And I'm not sure really why he wrote this. I'm assuming he really can't believe this. But here's what he wrote. He said, far better, far better to believe in a loving God who can't stop, can't stop genuine evil than believe in a powerful God who could stop it but chooses not to. Let me read it to you again because I really want you to get the ramifications of this. Far better to believe in a loving God who can't stop, who can't stop genuine evil than believe in a powerful God who could stop it but chooses not to. A God who can't? A God who can't? I may not like the fact that he doesn't sometimes, but a God who can't? If there's a God who can't, he's not a very big God. 
Now, I'm really not sure what he was thinking when he wrote this. And I'm sure he's got, he's got a zillion degrees and he's well-respected. And in his world, I mean, wow, but I'm telling you, if our God can't, we've got bigger problems than when God doesn't make sense. We've got big problems. But see, that's the deal. That's, these things that I described to you today are things that will cause people to go, how can, where's God? Don't trust God anymore. Those things can happen. You know, and, and I wrote down some questions. These just popped in my brain. Okay, okay, so, so why didn't God, okay, so, so why didn't God create like a perfect world? I mean, why did he put us in this mess? And if you know your Bible any at all, he did create a perfect world. He created an absolutely perfect world. He put a man and a woman into it with, with the command to be fruitful and multiply. Yes, even before sin, you know, to be fruitful and multiply. And simply this, to obey him and, and to honor him. And the way they were to do that was by simply there's one tree. You can have all the trees in the garden, but don't eat of that tree. And Satan shows up and makes the tree. Hey, you know, that's a great tree. You all eat the tree. And Eve eats of the tree. And it's not eating the tree. It's disobedience. It's rebellion against God. It's, it's God, I'm, I'm more important than you are. And God, I'm bigger than you are. And dodo head Adam is standing there while she does it. And when she offers him a piece, he chows down too and... You know, God said, if you eat that, you're going to die. And the world died that day. The bottom line is, the world was perfect, and we broke the world, and we broke us. So, so this world that we often push back from, don't look at God. God did it right. God created it perfect. We chose to rebel. We had free will, and we chose to rebel, and we choose to rebel against God. So, yeah, he created a perfect world, and we messed it up. So I wrote down this and I said this. All right, so why didn't God just destroy it and start again? I mean, if, you know, why didn't God just so bad start and just start again? I guess grace. I, I guess grace. It's best I can figure. If I was God, not God, but if I was God, that's what I would have done. I said, scratch you too, let's try her again. And you know what's funny was, this didn't catch God by surprise because he's all-knowing. You know, the Bible says before the foundation of the world was laid, you know, was laid God had knowledge of this. He knew what was going to happen. But he went ahead and created them. It's really, really strange. So, so why didn't, you know, he did kind of almost start over. He, he, show you how bad we are. He got it down to eight people. You know, remember the world got so bad and, and so finally, you know, Noah found grace, unmerited favor in the eyes of God. And so God tells him to build a boat and he builds a boat and eight people are saved. Eight people. It was no time at all before we messed up again. But why? Because we're broke. We're broke. All right, well, the next question. So, so why doesn't God do something? I mean, is there evil in this world? Yes. Why doesn't God do something? He did. It's called Christmas and Easter. It's called Christmas and Easter. We needed a rescue. And on that first Christmas day, when God became man, and, you know, when the virgin conceived and, and Christ was born, the Redeemer, the Rescuer came to this earth for the sole purpose of doing something about it. And he 
lived this wonderful, sinless life. And when he turned 33, he went public with his ministry and, and was healing people and making wonderful proclamations. You know, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. I've come to be the rescuer. I was going to say he's come to be the fixer, but he was better than a fixer. He was a resurrector. He took what was dead and made it alive again, physically and spiritually. He did that. And then Easter, he was willingly, he went to that cross. One like that. He went, he went to that cross and allowed himself to be slaughtered on a Roman cross. Now, you've got to keep in mind, this was not an accident. Like, this was ordained before the, the, in, before the foundation of the world. You know, John said, Behold the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. So it wasn't like an accident. And, and he was slaughtered on that cross. And at the appointed time, about six hours into the ordeal, he cries out and says, It is finished. Well, he says, first off, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cries out and says, It is finished. And the Bible says he yielded up his life. In other words, he yielded his life. They didn't take it from him. He laid it down. And you know the story we just celebrated last week, remember? And they put him in a tomb. And on the third day, he came back to life. Proving he was the Son of God. And proving he had power and authority over death and sin. Now isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So, so God did do something. He sent a rescuer. He sent a redeemer. Oh, well, yeah, but Dwayne, the next question I wrote down, um, Dwayne, um, why, why doesn't he make everything right? Why does he make everything right? He will. It's called heaven. It's called heaven. Right now he's here to walk with us. You know, some, I heard it said one time, and I like it. It says, you know, sometimes God takes us through the storm, and sometimes he delivers us from the storm, but he's with us always. And one day, one day, as we trust Christ, as we allow ourselves to be rescued by His sacrifice and His resurrection, when we allow ourselves to be rescued by turning from our sin and choosing to follow Him, making that commitment, turning, repenting of our sin and following Christ, believing all that what the Bible says about Him, when we do that, those who do that will one day find themselves in a place called heaven. Where there is no sickness... Where there is no sorrow, where there is no pain, where there is no death. Amen? So one day, he'll make it all right. But until then, but until then, what do we do? Until then, what do we do as believers with this thing called life? What do we do it when God doesn't make sense. And what we do is we trust. We trust. Now, I know. And there's people listening. Yep, there's people listening right now. And they're going, don't like that answer. In fact, some of you are sitting in this room. And you want a better answer. You want like God to do everything we think it ought to be done. You want every person to be healed. You want every evil person to die. And you know what? I'm kind of in that camp with you. But that's not what God has cho chosen to do. Instead, he's chosen to tell us to trust him. When I was a kid, probably eight or nine years old maybe, and the Taylors were not exactly the richest folks on the block. 
And we went to, there was no Walmart, can you believe that? Not a Walmart. And there was a pick and save, though. Anybody remember pick and saves? Yeah, Judy does because she's from the South. There's one back there, Dave. All right. You know, we went to pick and save. And I think Dad had probably said something like, you can have a dollar to spend, okay? And I wanted more. And so I said, if all you're going to give me is a dollar, I don't want it. And you know what Dad said? Oh, I'm sorry. Here's ten. Not my daddy. I don't know about your daddy, but not my daddy. My daddy said, done deal. Let's go. I walked out empty-handed because I didn't like my father's answer or proposal. But I was the loser. I'm the one who walked out empty-handed. And God's proposal to us is this. Now, as his children, as a, you're a dear, dear father, that's who you are, that's who you are. You're a dear, dear, I am love, that's who I am, that's who I am, that's who I am. As a dear father to a child that is loved, he says, trust me, trust me. When I was in high school, um, I went to church for two main reasons. Can I just be very candid with you? Football and girls. Um, I was never good enough. I, I went to, our graduating um, class in high school was 700 people, just the graduating class. And so, like, there was lots of people in football, and believe me, I was never even close to that. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't have a place to be the man thing. And so it happened on Wednesday nights and Sunday afternoons, but Wednesday nights after church. After we did the RA thing, we would go out and we would play. And, boy, I was, I was called Little Eddie. You know I was called Little Eddie? Because Big Eddie was the teacher and weighed about 300 pounds. And I was about a 160 at that time, but pretty, you know, pretty, mm. And so they called me Little Eddie, and I would plow through the line, you know, loved it. And girls, oh, who needed high school? I had a church full. It was awesome. Great motivation to go to church, football, and girls. Well, as part of the RA program, um, if you remember that, you remember Brent, you know, I, I think Guide Ranger, and I'm not sure which one was the top, but part of that was learning a verse, and one of the verses, actually two of the verses, we had to learn is what I want to share with you in our remaining time this morning. As a verse you know, if you've been around church a lot, and if you've heard me speak a lot, it's kind of what I've adopted as my life verse until recently, and I think I've changed now. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and here's what it says. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. The word means to be bold, to be secure, to have confidence. Trust in the Lord. Be bold, be secure, and have confidence. And it always involves action. Now, I've not, again, I say this every time I do this, but there's really not a better one, although there probably is. You know, to say I trust that chair is a verbal statement. In my mind, I look at that chair and I know it's designed. I know I've sat in chairs like it before. And my mind tells me that chair will hold me up. Okay? And, and that's, that's not trust, though. Trust happens when I actually sit down and I put my weight in the chair. I actually put my weight in the chair. At this point, I'm trusting this chair. When I go to Africa, um, I will buy a plane ticket. At that point, I'm saying a couple things. I'm saying I trust the pilot and I trust the airplane. Because we're going to take off. 
This thing that weighs a zillion pounds. We're going to take off with like 300 people on it. And we're going to climb to 35,000 feet. And we're going to fly, fly over to, to Amsterdam or, or London, someplace there. And then we're going to take another journey and fly all the way to Africa. And I'm 35,000 feet in the air. The point I plane, buy my plane ticket, I may say I trust the airplane and the pilot. I don't trust the airplane and the pilot until he mashes the gas and we're in the sky and we're flying. At that point, I truly trust. When the, when the Proverbs, when, so, when, the, when the guy wrote Proverbs, Solomon says, trust in the Lord, he's calling for action. He's calling for action. It's just not enough to talk about it. I know we're here where most of us are believers and we go, oh yeah, I trust God. We've got to go beyond the verbiage and get to action. When we put our weight and our trust in Him. And that includes times when it's dark. That includes times when God doesn't make sense. That includes time when life doesn't make sense. Trust in the Lord. What? With all your heart? With all your heart? With all your being? Without reservation? Without holding back? You know, you may find this hard to believe, and I will not overspeak this point, but I occasionally do vacuum at home. Occasionally. Don't, don't think I'm super dad because I'm not. But occasionally I'll vacuum. And did you know there's two ways to vacuum? There's the quick way and the in-depth way. Now, if, I, if Judy says, would you mind vacuuming for me and being the sweet, adorable husband I am? I say, of course I will. So what I'm going to do then is, because I'm really not interested in vacuuming, I just didn't want to get in trouble and I wanted to please her, and so I'll hit the main spots. Come on, don't smile at me, man. You've done this before. Don't leave me on this limb by myself. We'll vacuum the main areas. But, but sometimes, because I'm just a little bit weird, I like get into the mode. You know, I get in the mode. And so I'll start vacuuming, and I get off that rug, and I go under the chair, and I come back around and get behind the chair, and I get in every crevice, every crevice, and every corner, I vacuum. And you know what? The second one is what it means with all your heart. It don't mean just getting the big area. It means letting God get a hold of everything. It's kind of when you sweep, get in those corners. It's kind of like when you really do spring cleaning, you get in the closets. I'll never forget. Our house was chosen to be on a home store. Can you believe that? Only because it was old. And so these people were going through my house. And I worked hard, okay? And this woman, I didn't ask her to. Do you remember this? This woman, we had this like built-in um, linen closet, had the frosted glass, you know, all like that. And this woman opens the door. And unfortunately, I hadn't painted the backside of the door. And worse than that, it had half white and half wood. And she goes, who didn't paint the door? I wanted to hit her. <laughs> I didn't ask her to look in my closet. God is asking that He can look in your closets. He wants you to surrender your entire heart, all areas of your life. Trust in the Lord with all the areas of your life. And listen, listen, don't lean on your own understanding. And that's what we want to do. We have a way and we have a plan. And so often it's contrast to what God wants to do. You know, the heart, the, uh, heart is desperately wicked. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is desperately wicked and who can trust it? God knows this. When things make sense to us, it probably doesn't make sense to Him sometimes. And we think sometimes we're smarter than God, and we're not. 
We're not. So he says, listen, listen, don't lean on your, understa- on your own understanding. You know, you students, sometimes, you know, mom and dad make some decisions and you don't do this in front of them, but you get in your room. What is mom and dad? Don't they know I'm smarter than them? Wait till you're about 35 and you'll figure out you're not. You're not. Don't lean into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In your parenting, in your marriage, in your, in your high school career, in your college career. You know, the things that you choose to do. In all your ways, acknowledge him and guess what? He will direct your paths. He will lead you down that path. So, when life doesn't make sense, and sometimes when God doesn't make sense, we just need to trust him. Dwayne, how exactly can I do that? For goodness sake, look at that. If he is a dear, dear father, and it, would you say God's a dear, dear father? Yeah. So, so he's a dear, dear father. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. And do you really believe today that God loves you? Do you really believe that God loves you? Okay. So if he's a dear, dear father, and he loves you, and you are loved, you are loved, you are loved, and then you go back 2,000 years, and you look at this thing, you look at this gruesome cross, and knowing that a man died, the God-man died on that cross for you, and you can't trust him? Even when it doesn't make sense? You can't trust him? I mean, forever, this is the loudest voice of God that says, I love you. And I hope there's multiple reasons you know that today. I hope you can go back last week and say, I know God loves me because last week he did this. But when it gets really dark, when life doesn't make sense and God doesn't make sense, you need to be able to go back 2,000 years and look to that and go, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't understand. It's crazy. I, I don't go, know God you know, but I know this. You love me. Because that forever says that you do. That you do. So trust Him. See, i got to be careful because I'm going to get into what we're going to share tonight. And I don't want to do that, but... But listen, just, just trust Him. And come back tonight. And I'll give you four good reasons why and how we should. Now, I want to close this morning with um, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know this is my daughter Rebecca's life verse. It's one of those verses, if you don't know, you probably need to know. Now, now I want to give you the context. You know, obviously, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not written to the New Testament church. But the principles certainly are. And this was, a, this was written to the nation of Israel, and they've been in captivity, and God is speaking to them. Because they're thinking, it's over, God doesn't love us, God doesn't care. And sometimes we feel that way. And here's God's message to the nation of Israel, but it's also, listen, 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 it's also the message of God to us today. Listen to what he says. He says, I know. The implication is, you don't know. He goes, I know, and the implication is, you don't know. I know the plans I have for you. Every once in a while, I hear someone say, a child say, yeah, that was an accident. (laughs) I don't believe that. And I want to tell you this. We don't serve an accidental God. We don't serve an accidental God. I know. I know. The plans I have for you. I know your heart's breaking. Some of you are going through much a deep time. 
telling you, God says, I know the plans I have for you. And he says this, he declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I just got to be candid with you. Because I know sometimes you look at those words and you say, plans to prosper, don't feel very prosperous. Physically or, or any other way. I don't ha- feel very prosperous. I, I, I don't feel very unharmed either, Dwayne. And, and you know what? I'm not sure I have a hope. I'm not sure I have a future. God says you do. But frankly, often that promises that promise is in a place called eternity. See, God deals so much more with eternal value than temporal value. I know our tendency is to deal with temporal, short term. We, we, we see, you know, I was teasing someone and they were saying that like they were like, uh, it was my neighbor, Bob Gregg. He was saying he was 94 years old. I mean, that's like really old for like a man. I mean, you, we tailors, if we make it 75, we're going, woohoo. But God doesn't even deal with like 75 years. He doesn't deal with 94 years. He deals with eternity. He he sees this, and we should see this, as a short span of time. And he looks into eternity. And he says, I want you to know something. I've got plans to prosper you. Oh, yeah. I've got plans not to harm you. Oh, yeah. I've got plans to give you hope and a future. Just write this down if you're a note taker. Remember, it's always bigger than here. If you're a Christ follower, it's always bigger than here. God's plan, God's scope, God's vision, God's power is always not limited to here. Because with God is really a there. You probably need to say amen there. If you get it. If you don't get it, I understand. But again, we've been so drilled in our heads that it's here, it's here, it's temporal, it's here. No, God deals with the eternal. It's always bigger than here. And forever is longer and better than blank. Forever is longer and better than blank. Forever is longer and better than 70 years, 75 years, 90 years. Forever is longer and better than a successful career. Forever is longer and better than anything you can imagine. You fill in the blank. What is it that you would say, now if God did this, then, then, then I'd go, yeah. Well, whatever it is, forever is longer and better than that. And God deals with the eternal. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then he says in verse 12, Then, 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 then. Now, when you believe, when you trust. There it's, it's in the promise then. But when we choose to believe, when we understand the eternal value that God has, then you will call upon me. And, and, and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. Those times when it's so dark, he's listening. When we can come, just like we learned in our prayer series, if we can come to the Father and say, Father, I don't understand, he can handle that. You know, what would you say, David, in the worship service? It was, it was really good. You know, God's not derailed. <laughs> he's not going to be derailed if you go, I don't understand. I'm not even sure I understand you, and I'm not so sure I even like you. He won't get derailed. <laughs> he's God. <laughs> He's God. When you pray in those darkest hours and say, God, I don't understand. And God, I'm not sure I understand you. But God, I'm going to trust you. 
Even though I don't understand, I'm going to trust you. That's a prayer he'll hear. You don't have to wonder. (laughs) I know when you prayed for the $1.4 billion lottery ticket, you wonder if God heard you. He didn't. But when you say, God, I love you, and God, I trust you, and God, I need you, and God, I need your help, oh, he's listening. In the darkest hour, he's listening. And then he says this, and we're done. You will seek me and find me. When? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You'll find me when you seek me and find me and seek me with all of your heart. When you are willing to lay it all on the line, say, God, don't understand, don't understand you. What are you doing? What are we thinking? I don't know those things, God, but I want you to know something. It does not affect my trust in you. I will not allow the circumstances of my life to dictate my trust in you. That happens, you'll pray, and he'll hear, and you'll seek him, and you'll find him. I don't have all the answers. <laughs> I wonder if I wrote that down. Gee, I didn't. I should have. But I'm write it down. Don't have all the answers. But I do know this: God is faithful. God is good. God can be trusted, even when it's dark, even when I don't understand, even when I don't understand him. God is good. And somehow, I don't understand this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Yeah, I got that. Got that. All things work together for good. All things aren't good. But God has the amazing ability to bring good things out of bad things. And all things work together for good to those who love God for the call according to His purpose. So, bottom line, you may be here, and you came this morning for, for an unobvious reason. You're not normally a church person, and now you may be going, aha, I heard some things about God that I didn't understand I didn't get. And might be the fact that a man named Jesus died on a cross, not because it was murder, but because it was a sacrifice, it was a rescue, it was a redeeming thing. And you understand today for the first time, he did it for you. (laughs) What's the song say? He did it for me. He did it for you. And I'm going to have my friend Brent standing down front. You want to come down and say, hey, Brent, I want to know more about this Jesus and how he can forgive me. How I can call creator God, dear, dear father. I want to know more about that. And we'll do our best to answer all the questions you have and show you how you can come to a point of believing in Christ and turning from your sin and following him. Now, a chunk of us today are believers. We're believers. And if we were honest, we would say we do wrestle with life and with God. And what's the bottom line? I mean, it's obvious. God is challenging us. I'm not. The Holy Spirit is challenging us today that no matter where you are, some of you can look back in your past and go, it was then. Some of you are worried about tomorrow. It'll be tomorrow. And for some of you, it's right now. And there's darkness. And there's that moment when you say, I don't understand. Where's God? And God's challenge for you today is, whether it's in the past, the future, or now, trust me. Trust me. Because I am a dear, dear father.
and you are loved. That's who you are. Let's pray. Father, it's just one of those times. I just feel like I need to say amen and amen because that's who you are. Father, I want to pray right now. I, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to just fill this place, to fill this atmosphere. Father, there is a man, a woman, a student, or a child who comes today to the point of understanding that they need a rescue. And they are being pulled by you into your marvelous grace. Would you give them the courage, even while we sing, to walk up to Brennan and say, okay, don't understand it all, but I want to know more about Jesus. I want to be rescued. And Father, give them, pull them into your family. Father, for my brothers and sisters and for me and for me. Father, help us to trust you. And not partially and not in some hypothetical way, but in a very real way, trust you with all of our hearts. Help us to give up leaning into our own understandings. And in all our ways, God, may we acknowledge you. May we surrender to you. Again, Holy Spirit, I know if anything happens today in anybody's heart, it's going to be you. It's not going to be Dave through the worship or me through the talking. It's going to be you. So please have your way. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.